0: If you don't surround yourself with the right people, you're just doomed. And you can't be alone. You can't do it alone. I don't care what you say. You cannot do it alone.
1: You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Muffy Bennett is in the driver's seat today. Muffy is the first lady of Collector Cars and the CEO of Bennett Automotive Specialist. After a fulfilling 17 year career as a paralegal, Muffy took the wheel in the world of cars and auctions. She became the operations director at ASAA Auction Company, and in 2013, Muffy was called upon to open a retail facility for Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions. Then in 2017, she led the charge at Richie Bros Auctioneers, the world's largest auction company, launching them into the collector car auction niche. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Femcanics, this is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Muffy Bennett in the hot seat today. Muffy, I am so glad that we were able to connect. I know we had some family challenges come up, but thanks for making it a priority to get this interview recorded so that we can capture your story the Femcanic way. So I appreciate you and your time.
0: It is all my pleasure, Jamie. Thank you very much for having me on the show here to learn more about me and to chat with your audience.
1: Truly, the honor's mine. I don't do, like, social media stalking, but I do enough research to figure out if a woman is the right fit for the Femme Canine Garage podcast, and you obviously fit the bill. But in that research, there were some things that surfaced that just intrigued me greatly. You have an interesting story, and it spans all the way back to your 20s. I mean, I'll let you get into it, but you always had a passion for cars, trucks, motorcycles. I did. But anything with wheels, you've always had a passion. So I'm making an assumption here. Did you always know you would end up in the automotive industry in some way?
0: No, I did not. I had hoped that I'd be in the industry, but it wasn't something that I really explored because I unfortunately didn't have a whole lot of support from, say, my parents because I didn't understand that passion. Not their fault, it just is what it is. But I actually started out restaurant world as my first jobs and then I migrated over to the legal world, graduated to a paralegal, and then used that as a segue into the collector car auction world. And it's been a hell of a ride. It really has. Why paralegal, just out of curiosity? What drew you to that? I was going to school and I had two jobs at a couple local restaurants at the time. And I needed to consolidate those jobs or I was going to burn out and not succeed. So I walked into a law firm and they were looking for a receptionist, two-man law firm. And they grilled me and grilled me and grilled me. Now, I had the basic skill sets. I could type. I could answer the phones. You know, I'm not stupid. I walked in the door after they they were grilling me and I said, you know, You're talking to me like I'm an attorney here. And this is just an entry-level role. I'll tell you what, I'll work for you for two weeks for free, like nothing. And if you don't like me, you can kick me to the curb. No harm, no foul. They gave me a shot. And within five years, I was managing the firm. I was drafting almost all of their legal documents. I had this drive within me because I I didn't want to be an entry-level individual. I wanted to be something more, but I really didn't know what the heck that was at that point. But it was a really good way to start off. And I have built upon that ever since, which is, it's, it's really benefited me, especially the business law and the contract law.
1: I have to pause for a moment and I have these insight moments or aha moments when I listen to women, when I interview them, there's these little nuggets that each woman shares. And sometimes they don't even know that it's like golden nugget knowledge. And what you just said that I found very interesting and what seems to be a very common theme with some of the most successful women I have ever had the opportunity to pick their brains and ask questions you are not the first woman that I have heard at some point in their career when they were trying to get their foot in the door so to speak somewhere and maybe they're doing a career change later in life maybe it's their first job but this theme is that they offer to work for free or practically nothing to prove themselves now not an infinite amount of time Mm -hmm. right but a finite amount of time that's defined, I just find that fascinating. What made you think to do that?
0: It wasn't fascination in the grand scheme, it was desperation. <laughs> and sometimes, I, even through desperation, working for free, right? Yeah, and it's sad because we have to do it in the industry, generally speaking. And I do it to this very day. I have to prove myself. And it's okay, you know, but that was one way to get their attention one way for them to understand that I'm their real deal and that I'm not just some 19 year old kid who has a mediocre work ethic. I wanted to prove to them that I'm something different and that I do have the ability to excel and figure things out. And I didn't need constant supervision, but you're absolutely correct. I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that. We do sacrifice some of ourselves to get ahead. And sometimes it's necessary. It's disappointing, But it's necessary in order to get to the next level, if you will, to excel, to reach that next rung in your ladder, whether it be career or your personal life. And it can be a real challenge and it can be devastating your self-esteem. But at the same time, if you don't
1: take any risks, you don't
0: get anywhere, you know?
1: Yeah. Not to kind of go too far down the rabbit hole here, but what's interesting about it to me is that you are betting on yourself. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that. I would love to see more women do that like take a risk and make an offer like that an offer that they can't refuse i mean any business owner that is being offered basically free you know labor it'd be kind of silly for them to turn down honestly well yeah it's not exactly legal nowadays like i want to see more women get in the proximity of the next level mentor or person And one of the fast-track ways of doing that is sometimes offering your time and service for free in order to get in that proximity. I think it's brilliant. And for you to do that at 19, I mean, if that wasn't an obvious... Signed that you were going to be legendary. I don't know if you had that figured out
0: at 19. No, I was just being proactive, really. And you're, to your point, you're right. Sometimes we do have to have some guts and take the first stand and, and do what we got to do. I've always said that that ship's not going to come in to get you, so you better get ready to swim out to it. And that's pretty much the way that I've always been. And it's, it's also interesting. A lot of employees, when they depart a company, the company, they won't necessarily celebrate that person leaving. It'll be like a quiet maybe maybe there's a cake. Well, you know what? If I have an employee or a coworker or a team member whatever that is leaving, I'd like to celebrate that because it means they're going on to the next chapter and it's okay that this was just a partial stepping stone to where their goal is. It's important to me to see others grow. Mentorship is paramount in my world. I spent a lot of time talking to men and women about the industry that I'm in the collector car auction world and the collector cars, generally speaking, and giving them guidance because there's a lot of people out there that make a lot of mistakes. I mean, simply because they don't know. I spoke to an attorney this past weekend and he was asking for guidance in regards to a car. He was concerned, was paramount that it not lose money. And I said to him, you know, if you're buying a car as an investment, I say please don't do it. it this, is, this is not a game you want to play. Now, there are some cars that will go up, but the whole industry, generally speaking, is very fickle. If you're going to buy a collector car, buy it because you love it. Buy it because you're passionate about it. Buy it as if it's the last one you're ever going to own. And if you lose money when you sell it, that's just the cost for the memories and the fun that you had. Yeah, I'm telling this to probably, I don't know, 55 year old attorney who's been doing this a long time and just doesn't really understand, you know, because there's some parts of the industry and I understand why they do it that tout these as investments. I mean, let's face it, you got no Enron stock, but you do have a car in the garage. So talking to people and going out of your way to help them is paramount in my world. And I wish there was more of that, especially in this particular sector, women's racing and in the the motorsports, generally speaking, irrespective of their role. Doesn't matter what their role is. I mean, they could be down at the track doing something relatively mundane. Their job is still important and it's a stepping stone. And you just got to give them some guidance and sometimes a shove. I mean, let's face it, you don't go anywhere if you're just sitting in your same old spot doing the same thing day after day. You really got to get outside that comfort zone.
1: And it's. You got to get uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. You you kind of let the cat out of the bag, of which is good. Like where you are now in this journey. So you you start with this 19 year old. It's like, hey, I work for you for free, and you start in restaurant. You become a paralegal. What was next? Like you hit that point where it's like, okay, my time here is done. Well, it's really interesting that you go down this avenue
0: because I'm the girl that once lived in her car, and now I went from homeless into evaluating some of the greatest car collections and greatest cars in the
1: world for say liquidation or auction or whatever the case may be our services vary so now you said kind of fast and i think the average person when they listen to this might miss it just to be clear there was a point in time in your life that you lived in your car yeah really briefly but i did live in my car I was
0: married to a, an individual who wasn't particularly nice. And I was young, and I was very meek, and I was very mild. And I had a tendency to gravitate towards men who were more controlling. And after a while, this man took away my identity. And I loved him. Um, it starts out slow in the beginning. And this happens to men or women. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. I married him, moved to England moved back. The first time he laid a hand on me, I told him, you touch me again and I will leave. The second time I let him go to bed, I took $237 or so, give or take, my dog, a handful of clothes, and I jumped at my Mazda protege and I left and I didn't go back. And I left him everything in the divorce. And I was so embarrassed and so mortified at this particular chapter because everybody saw it but me and nobody had the guts to say something or pull me aside and say, hey, you know, we're kind of concerned about you. And I think a lot of people are scared to say something, but I am now of the opinion, if you see something that isn't right, make an inquiry, you know, be careful with the way you phrase it, but make an inquiry. So I was...
1: I'm it is because i saw the post that you did on linkedin and is this domestic violence awareness month uh that was actually i wrote that back
0: in november of last year that was domestic violence awareness month okay
1: but with that being said why do you think that is i mean there's shame around it i think that's why i mean i i know this shame what breeds more shame is silence
0: yeah and soon you find yourself all wrapped up in this i don't know this altered reality and you're just terrified to ask for help. And I didn't want to ask for help. And only until my coworkers figured out I was living in my car in the parking garage with a dog did they all get together and they put a deposit down on a small apartment that took animals. So me and my dog had somewhere to live. One gave me some dishes. One gave me a small love seat. I about lost my mind when I got my first bed because I was (laughs) sleeping on the floor. But I got out of my car as a result of the people that I worked with. And I didn't I didn't have the guts to ask him. And I don't like to talk about this particular chapter of my life. It's not that it's embarrassing. It's now, what's important when you go through something like this is you learn and you grow and you push yourself even farther into your future because we're the sum total of our experiences. And I wouldn't change it for the world. It has made me more humble. It has made me more self-aware. It has made me more strategic in my thinking, generally speaking, and it's it really did take me to the next level. Now I'm not saying that's the only experience that's done this. I mean but I am forever working to improve myself because I believe that if you just stay still, you die. You always gotta push forward.
1: And it's important too that you what would you tell other women that may be in that current situation, like knowing what you know now?
0: Women and men are in the situation, but Women most notably, don't be afraid to ask for help. And you gotta plan. And if you're not happy, find that next chapter. Yeah. You know, it's terrifying. Don't get me wrong. I was absolutely I mean, I stayed with them for way too long. You know, I should have left after the first time, but I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have anyone to rely upon at that point in my life. Now I do, but back then I was, you know, pretty much flying solo. It's important that you you just Push yourself, you know, and remember, it's scary, but it's not the end of the world, you know, and and I I am forever grateful for doing that. It really did show me the importance of friendships and camaraderie among the women that I work with because they saw me drop down to 99 pounds and they saw me (laughs) waking up and going to bed. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, it's important that you rip out the weeds in your life. And you cultivate the lilies and surround yourself with great people.
1: That may help you rip the weeds out with you. Exactly. Yeah. That's that sisterhood and community. It is. It is. When I listen, and I, I've heard some pretty difficult stories. I've done over a hundred interviews. I've heard stories where the first time that they shared their story was on the Canic Garage podcast. I didn't know it at the time. And the way that their parents found out about it was by listening to my podcast. Oh, my. I offered to take it down. They didn't want to because they felt, and there was more than one, that the story needs to be told and people need to hear it. And it goes back to, for me, Muffy, it's like there's this notion that women are catty. Women always compete against each other. They're always at each other. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It does, right? But it exists for men too. It just may look a little differently, right? But it exists. It's not just women. But when I hear stories like this, Muffy, that we need to get out of our own way and focus on the community and lifting each other up and being there for each other and focus on the ways in which we are more alike than different, then we all get further ahead faster.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you. One of the challenges that most of us face, our gender generally speaking, is our logic and our emotions are all kind of balled into one. And we have a tough time separating them. At the risk of being raked over the coals, I liken our brains to that of like spaghetti, you know, logic and emotion all balled together. And then men's brains tend to be more like a waffle. So you can pour the syrup and control where it goes in every single little square there. And that's the way that they think. I'm kind of wired somewhere in the middle. I'm able to extract the emotion out of it for the most part. And we don't, not all of us have that gift. So if you stop and you take a step back and you look at the situation that you're involved in, sometimes you're able to compartmentalize a little better. Yeah, which I found has been really helpful. But if you don't do that, don't rely upon other good people to give you the guidance that you need, that you're never going to get to the next chapter in your life successfully, whatever that is. It's True. At least this is just my my ramblings about the subject. Yeah, and if you're right. We don't ask for help. We're just stuck. And I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have friends
1: around me. We need to get out of our own way and be open to asking for help. Like I'm not saying it's easy. Like I'm not misindependent to the core ever since I was a little girl. So asking for help, it was more about, no, I'm going to prove that I can do it. And the older I get, Muffy, the more I realize that the highest form of self-love is one, setting boundaries, healthy boundaries, and two, asking for help. Because when you're good people, you're just a good person, whether you know it or not, you're influencing and helping people. You may never know it. They may never say it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. you're actually robbing the people around you by not giving them the opportunity to help when maybe you legitimately need some help. Because that, for some people, the act and art of giving is some of the most fulfilling things to people. And by us not opening ourselves up to ask for help or get help, We're basically shutting off that line of connection. I do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
0: One thing that I've noticed people don't do enough of is recognizing your friends while they're still with you. I have a creed that was found amongst my grandfather's items when he passed away. And it talks about the importance of sending flowers to those that you care about while they're still alive. Because the flowers mean absolutely nothing but to console your regret after they've passed. And it's important that you let people know that we're here for them and lift them up. I mean, it takes no time whatsoever. It's
1: easy as can be. I mean,
0: it's my favorite thing.
1: Especially now in today's day and age, text, email. I mean, there are so many ways for you to drop a two to three sentence line that says, hey, that thing you did, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. You know, it doesn't take a lot. No.
0: And when you're dealing in a career like I've been in, I've had so many hurdles. I swear to God, if I don't have haters, I know I'm not doing it right.
1: <laughs> these <laughs> That's a great measuring. So just to kind of push forward, you get out of that. Is that when you started getting into the
0: car world? I actually got into the car world when I met my husband, Gary. I had gone out one night for a motorcycle ride, and I was angry because the individual I was dating, whom I had just introduced to half my family, left me for a married woman. So I'm sitting at this biker bar with my Diet Coke, and I've got my nachos, and all these motorcycles are parked in front of us. They're backed in, and mine is over on the other side because I don't normally back in. And this guy comes out of the bar, and it's got a V8 car engine in it. This bike is just huge. It's not like a Boss Haas bike. It's obviously been a custom build that someone has built with love and care and attention to detail. The guy comes out, gets on the thing, fires it up and blows racing fuel and, not- and dirt all over me and my nachos and my diet coke. And I am just at wit's end at this point. I look at the at the security guy at the end and I'm like, what a jerk. And he's like, yeah, well, I don't think he saw you were there. And I went, that's fine. All good. So the guy leaves Then he comes back 15 minutes later, same dude. And he comes down and apologizes for screwing up the dinner. And I found out that he worked at a really large collector car auction company. He was a general manager at the time. They had 12 employees. It was Barrett Jackson. And we got to talking and I told him that I absolutely love cars, but none of my girlfriends ever really wanted to go to any of these car shows with me. I was at car shows every weekend. I mean, I was so entrenched in the culture. I just loved it. Then he said, well, you know, we'll have an auction in your time. Got one coming up in California. Maybe you'd like to join us said, join. Yeah. You got any openings? So I ended up clerking at the auction block and we've been together ever since. We're like, bookends, peas in a pod, you know, I mean, he became one of the vice presidents of Barrett Jackson auction company, I used to oversee their dealership division. But before that, I used to buy cars and do light restorations, and then turn them, resell them. And I needed a dealer's license. So I started up a company in 2006 called Bennett Automotive Specialists. I started to sell cars under that name usually privately, not in the auction world. I graduated to that. After a while, I got myself a dealer's license and I got entrenched in the collector car sector. What was that license you just said? A dealer's license, a used motor vehicle dealer's license. And we've had a couple of hiccups. COVID happened. We had both left Barrett-Jackson and we were asked by Richie Brothers to come out and start up a collector car sector for them. And we had... I think it was seven core employees and had an $18 million sale before COVID shut us all down. So since then, I have rebuilt Bennett Automotive Specialist back up again. We cater to high net worth celebrity individuals. Uh, We also do auction consulting. We help folks liquidate cars. Gary finished a, um, a seizure not long ago. We sent $12 million with vehicles that a guy had pledged for a loan. And defaulted on that loan. So we sent them all to the auction. And that's how I got into it. I mean, it was kind of by accident. I was so desperate to get out of the legal world. I just, oh, there's nothing more boring in my world than driving a desk all day. And I like it to having a Ferrari type brain with stock Chevy brakes. I got to keep going. Yeah. I got to have something to do. And I have to be perpetually challenged or I'll just, I'll go nuts. Yep. In the paralegal world, while it's a great world, it paid the bills, paid the mortgage enjoyed it, met some amazing people. It just was not really for me. And so I launched off into the collective car world and it's been nonstop ever since. There's so much
1: to do in this industry. And that's how I got here. There's a couple avenues that you describe that is very unique. Like being a female dealership owner is one thing, that's unicorn in itself, but you are in a very, very specific niche. And as a female in that very specific niche, I can only imagine some of the stories you have. And would you be willing to share any of them? Because it helps put things in perspective because some people, are they know about motorsports and the challenges women have. They know about skilled trades and the challenges that women have. But what you do is so specific that there's not a ton of people doing it in general, not alone females doing it.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think I might be one of two, perhaps, maybe three that I'm aware of. I love what you call
1: yourself on your Instagram profile.
0: Go ahead, share it with the audience. The First Lady of Collector Cars. One of my girlfriends gave me that nickname. The First Lady of Collector Cars. (laughs) I love it.
1: I saw it, I'm like, that is badass.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, thank you. I, I thought it was cute, so I just thought I'd use it. As far as the challenges and some of the things that I faced in this industry, oh, it has been so funny. I mean, I almost revel in snarking back to these folks. So I once had a guy who had a Volkswagen Beetle. Now here's your background information. I, at one point, held a racing license. I ride a motorcycle. I drive an H1 Humvee. At the time, I had a Corvette. I don't remember what else I was driving. I think I might have had my first Lamborghini then, too. And this guy told me he wouldn't sell me his Volkswagen Beetle because the engine was aftermarket and had too much power for a woman. (laughs) And you ever, like, take a moment and try and digest someone's statement and wonder, how the hell do I respond to that? (laughs) I remember looking at him and I called him the F-bomb. <laughs> I him he was and I said, I don't think you understand who you're dealing with. I suggest you sell that car to another male chauvinist much like yourself and have a nice day. <laughs> and that's nothing. I mean, I used to approach people with a gender neutral email account. And sometimes I still do. So you don't know that it's, you know, a minute at gmail.com you don't know if it's a male or a female so you reach out and you're looking to buy a car and you use this gender neutral account and I remember showing up at someone's house and, and this is when I used to deal with cash I don't anymore but I would show up in my H1 and I'd have cash on me to purchase a vehicle and at the time it was a I want to say it was a 57 Chevy or a 56 Chevy something like that and the guy looked at me and said oh where's Mr. Bennett and <laughs> I said, Mr. Bennett's at home. I said, I'm Mrs. Bennett, and I'm here to look at and potentially purchase your car. And he said, I'm not selling my car to no woman. (laughs) Flipped in the bird, walked away. That's fine. That's okay. You can just F off and die. (laughs)
1: People believe that that doesn't exist. Boy, I can give
0: you story after story after story after story. That it does still exist, and especially in this industry. I don't know about other industries. I can't speak to them. But in this particular industry, my business partner and I had about 10 or so cars in an auction. And, I'm, and I, I will get there. If I'm selling a car at auction, I will get there and I will represent that car and answer questions by any prospective bidders from the time those gates opened at that auction to the time they closed. And I remember having a guy walk past me and looked at, looked at me and said, oh my God, those car models are getting really old and haggard. <laughs> I remember I elected his wife and I said, I own these cars. Somebody forgot his effing filter today, didn't he? <laughs> and sure enough, his wife like ribbed him and said, oh my gosh, he owns them. You know, and he like apologized and he's, he, he wasn't going to apologize. But stuff like that, it makes me roll my eyes thinking about some of the folks that we deal with. And it is alive and well. And honestly, it doesn't bother me anymore. It used to really upset me. There was another gentleman that came walking around the car and I had a, I had a really exclusive vehicle. It was a 1957 supercharged from the factory Ford Fairlane Skyliner. Some say they made 14, some say they made seven. Nobody really knows. The records are destroyed. But a guy walked around the corner and said, wow, is this yours? And I said, well, yes. And he said, well, you really screwed it up by adding a supercharger. And I said, well, actually it came from the factory that way. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. Okay, sir. Have a nice day. I'm not going to bother proving this to you. I don't have that kind of energy to expend or waste on something like this or on someone like this. I'm not going to argue. You can just
1: keep on trucking. Yeah.
0: And it happens constantly, constantly, but you can't let it bother you. If I let it bother me, I swear to God, I'd be in the closet, curled up in the ball crying. You got to let it go. Otherwise you'll just go nuts.
1: You said that at one point in your career that it would get to you. So for the women that are in that space and navigating, okay, how do I not let this bother me? How do I get to the other side so that I can get to that, you know, I'm plateaued. I know I need to get to the other side. And I think this topic is one thing that can really get a lot of women stuck. And actually, I think fast track a lot of women out of the industry altogether, to be honest. Yeah, it will. What did you do? Like, was there like a defining moment? How did you get there? Was it just gradual? It's like a
0: bunch of defining moments. When
1: people tell me
0: I can't do something, I get angry. I get ticked off. And then I use that as a motivator, that anger to push forward. It'll cause me to be more reflective. And I think those experiences strengthen me into pushing into the next like you said, next hurdle, figuratively speaking. There's nothing worse you can do to me than to tell me I can't do something or that I'm not capable of something within limits, of course. That's one way to get me to perform, if you will, figuratively speaking.
1: I think that's sound advice. I mean, I'm very much the same way. I remember giving you a call. Um, Eliza actually connected us and I wanted to talk to you about Women's Motor Fest. And You and I just hit it off. It's just like, I get you. There's a lot of similarities. I'm motivated the same way. Go ahead. Tell me I can't do it. Go ahead and doubt me. Go ahead and see what happens, right? So I so connect with that. And I've also met a lot of women that maybe don't have that same fire or maybe like the FU fuel. Mm -hmm. Like we seem to know how to ignite the FU fuel. You know what I mean? I'm always curious to try to figure out, okay, for the person who maybe used to be able to ignite the FU fuel or maybe never have, how do we help those women get to that? And it's more of a rhetorical question, but that's part of what I love trying to pull out through the stories of women in these interviews is, is there those moments? What is their mindset? What is your mindset? And that's what you've beautifully articulated here, where it's like you have two choices. Curl up in a ball and cry in the closet, like the analogy you gave, or you take it and say, watch me. And do the best you can. That's all we can do,
0: right? There's some people, and I mean this for any gender, that will not use this as something to propel them forward. Use experiences, life experience, generalize people to push themselves forward. And I get that. There's some people that just stall out in their development, but- that's dangerous and it can be a real soul crusher because after a while, I think that depression would set in, I would imagine. Yeah. And if you don't have something to look forward to, and I don't care what it is, whether it be a next phase in your career, whether it be, you know, Friday, I'm going off, or I'm going to go camping, whatever the case may be, you know, you got to have something to look forward to, something to push towards. And I think that by mentorship, you can help bridge some of that gap. And push some of these. And it doesn't have to
1: be formal mentorship. Oh, exactly. But some people get caught in their head. Oh, I can't afford a coach. Or, you know, who would be my mentor? It doesn't have to be formal. I want to share a story with you, Muffy. And maybe I shared it with you, but I don't think I've shared it with the listeners at all. But I, in what you're talking about here in looking or having something to look forward to. It was an eye-opening experience for me this past New Year's Eve going into 2023. We kind of have this little tradition that we're starting and have been doing for a little bit where we, we meaning my kids and I, we create vision boards on New Year's Eve, right? We get magazines, we get print-offs of things we want and take the time to create a vision board together. Well, my daughter had her boyfriend over. He's a super great kid. His name's Kean. I just adore him. He's he's just a good kid. And he treats my daughter with respect and kindness, like all the things you would want for your daughter, right? And he got his own board. My son and daughter were off to the races. Half of it's full and it like, you know, my son was almost done. And I looked over and Kean's was almost empty. And I could see he was struggling a little bit and I just paused. I walked over to him. I'm like, I said, what's up, buddy? Is everything okay? He looked at me and he said, yeah, everything's okay. He's like, this is the first time in my life I've really stopped and thought about what I wanted for my future. There's very few moments in my life that I could say that I'm speechless or I am without words. This was one of those moments where these little small acts... By him sitting down and doing a vision board and even thinking about it, even entering in that type of question into his head, that's a form of mentorship. It doesn't have to be this big, fancy thing. but now he's thinking about that because a simple question and exercise was put in his head. It's always been about survival, not about. Thriving.
0: And that's exactly
1: it. You know, I'm sharing this story because it supports what you're saying and suggesting to the listeners. Always have something to look forward to, no matter how big or little it is, but have something. Never stop dreaming. If you stop
0: dreaming, it's over. Every year I sit down and I think to myself, I don't necessarily write them out. Well, sometimes I write out some goals that I want to achieve that year uh, that are coming up. Some of them are small and some are grandiose. And I know I. it's probably more of a long-term goal, but you got to do it. And that's exactly the type of mentorship that people need. And they're not going to ask for because they don't know, because they've never had it before, just like in this situation. And when did we stop dreaming? We need to ask ourselves, when did we stop thinking about You know, when you're little, you're a little girl. You want to be a ballerina. You want to be a mechanic. You want to be an opera singer, a doctor, a lawyer. We stop doing that. And I think it's really important that we continue to do that because it's all we got. If you don't have something to work towards, you know, you're just going to stay in the same place and deal with the same BS year in and year out, day in, day out. And Why? I want to grow. I want to change. I want to explore. I want to learn more about myself. You know, it's amazing how much you can change in five years. It's amazing how much you change in 10 years. If you don't surround yourself with the right people, you're just doomed. And you can't be alone. You can't do it alone. I don't care what you say. You cannot do it alone. My best friend and husband, Gary, is my greatest cheerleader. That man has taken a beaten, battered shell of a woman and lifted her up into who she is today. He's done it very um, strategically, just in the manner in which you just described, too. So it's important that you surround yourself with good people. Like I said, rip out the weeds, cultivate the lollies in your life. Be willing to destroy pretty much anything that isn't excellent within reason. You know what I mean? To preserve yourself.
1: And accept that there will be a grieving process around that. I went through that the last 18 months. I've purged people's things, places, jobs from my life that were no longer serving me and doesn't make them bad or wrong. It just makes it not the right fit for me and where I am and where more importantly, I want to go. There you go. Mm -hmm. But there's grieving. It's not easy. There's a grieving process that happens around that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have a
0: remarkable ability to just shut down sometimes though, which is almost a gift in many regards. You know,
1: it's a gift and a curse, you know,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's some people I'm like, I can't listen. This has been fun. I got to move on. My psyche can't handle you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. what are you most proud of at the risk of sounding self-centered? My self-sufficiency. I went from a, a little girl, as I indicated earlier, needed to be controlled and needed to be told exactly what to do at every single turn. To building myself into who I am today, not compromising myself, being able to make mistakes, look in the mirror and go, yeah, screw that up pretty bad. All right, next, you know, and and not be so hard on myself. I think that's what I'm most proud of. I mean, there's been career accomplishments along the way that have been phenomenal. I came from nothing. And to see where I'm at today has been a real accomplishment. I'm really proud of that. I mean, I drive amazing cars. I have great
1: friends. And I remember watching the Batmobile being sold. Oh, yeah. That's one of the cars that you were involved in consigning. Actually, no, that was
0: one that I sold after it went to auction. That gentleman that bought it at auction uh, had decided that he wanted to sell it. So I privately brokered that deal. No kidding. I was actually on that auction block. I was in the car behind it. That was being auctioned off. (laughs) And I remember the the Batmobile, let me back up. So Gary comes home and he tells me where all my cars are placed on the auction docket.
1: And I only really care about one. Just for the listeners, this is the original Batmobile from the 1960s show, right? Yes. The real deal. And it was sold on Bear Jackson's auction. I remember sitting in the living room. With my brother and watching this and my jaw just dropping it. Like sold for like $4.5 million or something. Does that sound about
0: right? It did.
1: And I'm just sitting there
0: like, holy. <laughs> I know. I know. So Gary comes home and he's like, he tells me, this is where your cars are placed on the docket. And I only cared about one particular car. And it was that uh, supercharged Fairlane that I just told you about. Yeah. I said, where, where is that one going? He said, well, I got you a Saturday number. We managed to place it on Saturday. I said, great. Awesome. What's it behind? The Batmobile. (laughs) Nobody wants to go behind like a high-profile car or a charity car because all the energy and excitement gets sucked out of the room when that car sells. And the Batmobile sold for over four million dollars. So I I looked at him and I was like, "Do you? Did you? Do you want a divorce?" (laughs) And he said, "This is a good idea." (laughs) He said, "No." What have I always said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they want the car, they'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's my car! (laughs) Anyway, the Batmobile sold. I am behind it in this fair lane. And it's starting to overheat. And so it sells for over $4 million, which was amazing. Mine sets a world record for the highest hammer price at $330,000 or something. Which was just, it blew my mind. I mean, I knew it was going to do
1: well. I just didn't know it was going to do that well. And Explain what hammer price is. Because here we're saying over $4 million for the Batmobile. Yours is 330 right. Help the listeners understand what you mean by that.
0: Okay, so when the hammer slams down at auction, that is the selling price. And then there's an additional commission that me as a seller would have to pay. In this particular instance, it's 8%. And on the buyer's side, they have to pay 10%. So the auction house collects, at least that auction house collects, a significant amount of money on each transaction. And so when mine sold, it sold for 300000 but they registered the hammer price is 330000 because that includes the buyer's premium. Anyway, so about six months or so later, I get a call from the guy that owns the original Batmobile. And he's like, yeah, I talked to you a bit. and I really want to know if you can help me sell this car. Well, it's got a really narrow market, but I'll work on it. Uh, long story short, he consigned it to the Barry Jackson dealership. And it didn't sell there. It sat there for a long time. It was a great point of pride for people to come in specifically to look at that car. They loved it. Uh, And then I think it was about a year after I left uh, Barrett that I managed to sell it privately. I privately brokered it for them. And it did really, really well. That's the type of stuff that I've been doing. I've been buying and selling on behalf of others and on behalf of myself on occasion. Not too much anymore. But yeah, the Batmobile was definitely a, a highlight. I mean, how many times does someone get involved with a, a car? Just think if that thing could talk. Just the stories it would tell. I mean, Adam West drove it. It came from the original show. It was it was a concept car that George Barris bought from Ford for a dollar uh, and turned it into the original Batmobile. And now that is the most iconic one out of all of them, in my opinion, at least, of all the Batmobiles.
1: I agree. I mean, there's the monkey mobile, but it's nowhere near like that kicked it all off. That blew the doors wide open for creativity. It's insane. I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round. It's just five rapid fire questions. No right or wrong answer. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry?
0: My husband, Gary Bennett,
1: the ultimate car guy,
0: 50 plus years worth of experience in the collective car sector alone.
1: How long have you and
0: Gary been together? We have been together for 20 years. We'll be turning 18 years worth of marriage this month. Wow. He's the ultimate car guy. He's the ultimate car guy. That man has forgotten more than I will ever learn. I will forever be a student, as will he, but I mean, he's just, he's amazing. And it's not just about the collective car auction industry, generally speaking. It's about cars in general. Yeah, I mean, you can tell you how many luggage pieces are in a you know some of the vintage Mercedes if you if you ordered it with the luggage. It's just it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. So he's my inspiration on all kinds of levels.
1: I think it's cool, and you can tell you love and adore him, and it's so inspiring to know that that exists. Do you know what I mean? In today's world, with the divorce rates and All the craziness that happens. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it's cool. i won the lottery in that regard. You have the kind of relationship
0: where he'll say, oh, I'm going to the grocery store. And I'll be like, okay, let me get my shoes. I mean, it's just not a matter of, are you coming? It's, let me go get my shoes. Because we're coming. (laughs) We do everything together.
1: Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you feel stuck?
0: It all kind of depends. Um, It depends on what it is I'm... Trying to accomplish. I mean, if I'm looking for values on a vehicle, there's like, there's about four different resources that I use. I'll use CPI guides, I'll use um, asking prices on cars, um, tend to stray away from Wikipedia. I'll make phone calls to other individuals who are experts in that particular field. I don't hesitate to reach out and lean on them because they are the brilliant minds that are directly involved with whatever that particular mark is that I'm dealing with. I mean, it all, it all kind of depends. There's resources everywhere, but first and foremost, I I'll do my book work and then I'll lean on my people. Ah, I love that. Muffy, what excites you most about what you do? The people and and learning from them first and foremost, educating them. Secondly, sometimes in a sick way, proving them wrong. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little bit of that in me. Yeah. I'll admit. Yeah. I mean, I don't hesitate to correct somebody, you know, I mean, Gently, kindly, mind you, I'm not going to be rude about it. I mean, we're all students, as I indicated, but uh, yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit or practice? I think it would be
0: um, writing down my goals for the day and prioritizing same, especially when it comes to things like to-do lists, because I get completely and totally overwhelmed. It takes a lot of self-discipline to do what I do. And uh, I've got a lot of balls in the air. So I think that um, organization is a, is a key component of that. But first and foremost, I've got to
1: keep lists. I've got to keep notes or I'm just, I'm in trouble. I drop balls and I hate that. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this glorious industry we're a part of?
0: Oh boy, don't ever get discouraged. I mean, you will, it's bound to happen, but talk yourself out of it. But first and foremost, wake up every morning, look yourself in the mirror, and phrase things differently. Today I get to put on my clothes and go to work. Today I get to brush my teeth. Today I get to turn 40, turn 50, turn 60. Whatever it is that's happening to you that day, put it into perspective and realize how many people would love to be in your shoes. Would give anything to be in your shoes. I mean, how many people would love to have another birthday and they don't? Mm -hmm. Because they can't. You know, so it's all about putting things into perspective, making sure you surround yourself with powerful, important, kind people that can carry you in your journey when you get weak and upset and hit a roadblock, whatever the case
1: may be, and lean on them. That is such sound advice where and how can people connect with you, Muffy? Well, they can find me on uh, my personal website, which
0: is MuffyBennett.com. And although it sounds very,
1: very hokey,
0: our other website, husbandandwifecarteam.com. We get a lot of business through there. We're on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I do a little bit with other social media, but LinkedIn is probably my first and foremost uh, go-to, uh, especially for career. There's Facebook, Instagram, muffy.bennet. Uh, I just started a new thread account, Muffy.Bennett. Yeah, there you go. First and foremost is MuffyBennett.com. All my info is on there.
1: Muffy, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of go down memory lane and share your insights throughout your career. It's it's invaluable. There's so many golden nuggets in this, but I appreciate you.
0: Well, I appreciate you and thank you very much. And Best of luck to you and your career, as well as all the other folks who are watching this and listening to it, whatever the case may be. Remember, just keep reaching, guys. I'm Muffy Bennett, the CEO of Bennett Automotive Specialists, and I'm a femme canic.